listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. Today, I'm going live with Autumn, who is the founder of Wild Pastures and also Paleo Valley. Today, we're going to be diving into Wild Pastures and really what's inside of your meat and why all amino acids are actually different in different proteins. But most importantly, why the labels are tricky when it comes to animal products. You know what I'm talking about. We're talking grass-fed or natural or no hormones, no steroids. We're going to be diving into this labels, what to look for, plus what are the benefits of meat for health, and where exactly did the idea that meat is bad for your health originate? So I'm going to jump into a question that I know one of your team members told me about and everybody needs to know, but you, Autumn, did you personally coach J-Lo? Oh, I love that we start here. Yeah, I did. And I can't take all the credit though. I have to give the credit to whom it's due and that's Tracy Anderson. Have you ever heard of Tracy Anderson? Absolutely. I am good friends with her best friend, who is Sally Pressman. Do you know Sally? I trained Sally all the time when I worked there. I absolutely adore her. She was one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. Oh my God. I just went to dinner with Sally last week when I was in LA. Oh my gosh. Please tell her I say hello. I still adore her and we had so much fun. But yeah, Tracy Anderson is the woman who put me in touch with Jennifer Lopez and um, we did a world tour together, which was really cool. Yes. In 2012, it was right after I got married to my husband. I think about a few months afterwards, I was doing a training session and JLo said, do you want to come on a world tour? And I was thinking, well, that's kind of strange timing, but I just don't feel like she's someone that you say no to. Exactly. (laughs) Especially when she's offering a world tour. So I did it. And um, Tracy Anderson allowed me to do it. And um, it was pretty amazing. Awesome. Okay. That is where that connection is. I love it. So tell me this. Did you work out with other stars? Oh, (laughs) I did. And you know what? You want to know some of my faves? Yeah, we do. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. Ashley Green was one of my faves from Twilight. She was the flower girl in my wedding because I spent so long training her for uh, during while she was filming Twilight. And then we have uh, Cheryl Cole and Molly Sims and Shakira. I went down to Uruguay for a while to train her and uh, Julia Roberts one time. Wow. Courtney yeah. Cox. The list. Oh, Kirsten Dunst, Ellen Pompeo. And um, just so many amazing, amazing people. I can't even tell you off the top of my head right now, but those are a few of my faves. That is super cool. And tell me, I know you suffered from debilitating digestive issues and crippling anxiety for most of your life. Were you still dealing with this when you were training them? Yes. Wow. I love this question. Yeah, it's that's the thing. That's why I became so excited about this mission was because I had always been somebody who you look at and say, oh, she's fit. Eat. She's healthy. Yeah. But... 
when my husband got to know me and like saw me at the end of the day, rather than just watching me smile through my pain, he was like, you're a mess. Your stomach's bloated. You look pregnant after, you know, you're ripped, but you look pregnant. Your skin is breaking out. You're crumpling over in a ball and crying at night. It seems like you have anxiety, some mood stuff going on. And he was just kind of like, what's up? Like, why don't you do something about this? And that kind of started my whole journey into holistic health. Wow. So mind blowing. Here you are working out the top stars, looking okay yourself and feeling just like complete trash by the end of the day, right? Terrible. I felt horrible. My life was unpredictable. I didn't know if I'd be able to go do things after work because I didn't know how my stomach was going to feel. And I'd often cry about my skin breaking out and just overall felt so anxious. And I think it was a lot of the uh, caffeine. <laughs> yeah, I was drinking to kind of fuel myself through the workouts. And I, I didn't understand how that was impacting my body. And of course, I had been taught that a calorie is a calorie and it didn't matter what you were eating. It was just fuel. And so a lot of it was, you know, protein bars and green machines with a lot of sugar. And I think, yeah, I was on a blood sugar roller coaster all day long. So in addition to the several hours of exercise I was doing, I was just putting myself in this position to be up and down and all over the place all day. And it definitely took its toll. For sure. And it's such a bummer that I tell people, hey, the food industry and society makes us believe if we focus on these nutrition facts, everything's going to be okay. Or, you know, eat less calories, eat less carbs, eat less sugar, eat less fat and exercise more and it'll take care of yourself. And a lot of people are doing that, tracking it in their apps, doing all these things, but they are still feeling like trash. That reminds me, I talked to someone on a consult once. She was in Florida. She's in her car and she if you look at her from the outside, she looks like a picture of health. I mean, beautiful hair, glowing skin, doesn't look overweight or anything. And she says, look, I'm reaching out to you because my husband told me that I can spend as much money as it's going to take for me not to complain about my stomach all day. Meaning she's oh. in this pain that is, you know, it's resisting her from being the best mom and the best wife and the best worker that she can be because she's living in pain and she doesn't know where to go. So I'm curious, did you go anywhere, Autumn, to what made you say, I need to investigate food? Was it a program? Was it an influencer? Was it a self-guided journey? What made you Mm. go into the food lane? Mm, That's so, such an important question. Well, I, you know, my whole life, I started suffering when I was about 10 and I went to so many doctors, you know, in my small town in Montana, not only physical doctors like GIs, but also like psychiatrists. And so no one had any tools for me in the over decade that I was suffering. So by the time when I met my husband, I just felt like there was just something wrong with me that I had to learn to manage all my life and that no one could do anything. But but my husband saw it differently. He said, no, you know what? You cannot live like this. Like, Mm -hmm. And so he went on Google and saw that, and this was a miraculous finding at the time, that some people were experiencing relief from digestive issues, changing their diet. And I thought, there is no way. If a doctor couldn't tell me what to do, there's no way my diet will matter. But I was pretty desperate and wanted a better life for us as a newlywed couple than we had at the time because of my health. And so I tried it. And I think he got onto the work of Lauren Cordain and Rob Wolf, uh, just a few people back in around 2007 who were talking about this. And so we looked to food, we just cut out processed foods and started shopping at the Pasadena farmer's market. And um, the change was so dramatic that uh, I quit that amazing job (laughs) 
as a celebrity fitness trainer under Tracy mm-hmm. Anderson and went back to school so I could actually understand what had happened. Wow. Okay. So the beauty of this is like, hey, here's Autumn and her husband. They are producing such high quality food, Paleo Valley and wild pastures. And this was really a self-guided journey. Me too. I was a self-guided journey. And so what I like to tell people is the power of your health, being the CEO of your health, it's actually in your own hands. The information's out there. You have to go find it in this grassroots way because what the food industry has become is it's a bunch of food lobbyists and food scientists, and they all are getting together and you know producing these USDA standards of what your meal should look like. And no one's actually focused on the quality. Instead, we're so hyper-focused on the quantity mm-hmm. that we've actually lost sight of the quality. With that being said, your story sounds very similar to Sally. Sally suffered from ulcerative colitis and she was in the bed, could not even get out of the bed. And her husband was like, you can't live your life like this. She goes to the doctor and they said, we can give you a shot Mm. to clear up your symptoms, but you have to take the shot for the rest of your life. And she was like, do you think diet would help? And her doctor said, nope, diet can't do anything. So her husband researched on Google and found a book, read the book. And she said, the only way I can try this is if you cook for me. So he cooked for her. And I think she said it was either within two weeks or 30 days, no more blood in her soul, no more pains. She had energy. And to this day, she's living her fullest life. Jen, and it's so funny, and this just speaks to how little I understood this when I was working for Tracy, but I, I worked out with Sally all the time. I had no idea oh, yeah. that she had such extensive digestive issues, and she had no idea about mine either. So that's just fascinating to me, and I'm so excited for Sally. That's amazing. Absolutely. And speaking of Sally, I get so many people, Sally, she found me because she's like, hey, what's a clean almond milk? And is she was texting me pictures and, you know, is this a clean wine? Is this a clean mayo? Is this clean cookies? Because she was very intrigued at waking up and reading the label. She's like, I think I do that, but I'm trying to, you know, verify. So that brings me to, I get thousands of people that send me DMs and emails and all the things call us. Hey, can you tell us what kind of meat we should be buying because they're going to the grocery store mm. and they're reading organic or they're reading grass fed or they're reading grade A. And it's very confusing. Again, the labels are confusing, but so is the meat. Well, fortunately, we are what our cow eats, but unfortunately, the cows, cows aren't eating good things. And so it's seeping into our bodies, causing gut disruption. But I'm curious, where did the idea that meat is bad for your health originate exactly? Oh, this is such a fascinating, fascinating story. And I have to give most of the credit for uncovering this, these many connections to Belinda Fetke. Have you ever talked to Belinda Fetke? Uh-uh. Okay, so Belinda Fetke is the wife of Dr. Gary Fetke, and he is an orthopedic surgeon in Tasmania. And he was actually the first doctor ever silenced from talking about nutrition. And the reality is, yeah, he was amputating his patient's limbs due to diabetes, type 2 diabetes. And all he said was that he thought that they should reduce the amount of sugar in their diet. He's also an advocate of a low-carb diet, but at this hospital that he was working in, one of the dietitians turned him in and he had a four-year struggle just to keep and maintain his license. Now, he was eventually exonerated, but because there was such a wealth of evidence about the power of low-carb diets and um, he kept presenting it over and over and it didn't seem to really be changing the narrative and what was happening to him, his wife thought, this is not about 
just research, right? The research is there and this isn't making people listen. And so she had to kind of uncover the other things happening. And one of them was um, the Seventh-day Adventist church. And it is hugely influential in our dietary policies. And there was a woman named Ellen G. White, and she was the prophetess of this church. And what she believed was that she had visions that told her that the Garden of Eden diet or the proper human diet contained fruit, nuts, whole grains, and seeds, very uh, little, if any, meat. And she also believed that meat was going to create sinful desires and uh, make kids masturbate. And so she taught this. And Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, who actually created the first cereals, Kellogg cereal, oh, yeah. was an effort to give kids options other than meat that would prevent them from masturbating. Uh, we also had some research by Ansel Keys in the 1950s and 60s that suggested the more saturated fat and dietary fat someone consumed, the higher their risk of heart disease. And we know when you really look into these associations and other statisticians have come along and kind of helped us to elucidate that it isn't as linear a correlation as we've been led to believe. And that when you look at total mortality, reducing saturated fat for these trials was not in fact helpful. And then we had entrepreneurs like William Proctor and James Gamble, who had this wealth and surplus of cottonseed oil and very creative minds and wanted to know what to do with it and how to make money off of it. And they found that when they hydrogenated it, it started to look a lot like butter, right? Mm -hmm. So without any substantiation or research investigating its health benefits or detriments, they created Crisco and they launched a massive overwhelmingly successful marketing campaign that taught American women that it was liberating. They didn't need to churn butter anymore. They could just use Crisco and that their kids would have better moral character. And they just went on and on and provided these beautiful cooking books that, of course, all recommended Crisco. And we now know that as it was originally formulated, Crisco was 50% trans fat, which we know is responsible for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths every year, because it increases the risk of heart disease. So we had those and now we have this anti meat narrative because of environmental issues, which is such a nuanced topic. And I'm sure we'll get into it later. But we are not being told to not drive cars, right? because they're bad for the environment. We're being, like we're being told, just don't eat meat. There are nuances and there are ways to raise meat that we aren't really looking at. And that in fact can be far more beneficial than any other type of agriculture. And then we have people who are worried about like PETA and they're worried about animal welfare. And again, this can be addressed by simply addressing how your meat is raised. And then we have other companies selling fake meat products that are mm -hmm. trying to convince us that the future of food is in a factory, is in a warehouse, rather than in the farms and um, agricultural communities that have sustained our country for a very long time. And so we have all of these different narratives kind of converging to create this overarching message that that meat is dangerous and it runs counter to our evolution, right? We required meat to evolve into the humans that we are today. There has never been a vegan culture. And so I'm just very terrified that this message is getting louder and louder and louder and that our children are listening and that it could potentially have enormous ramifications for our health, even in like a, in a generational basis. Absolutely. And I say, hey, look, we're being told these things and we're being conditioned to believe this is how it's supposed to be. Yet, 
America's the sickest it's ever been. Our food is toxic. We're eating 70% of processed foods in our diet every single day. And we're honestly confused. There used to be, I think, 7,000 grocery items in the 90s. Now there's over 50,000. And it's very saturated by a few companies that own a lot of these brands. I can also tell that you and I have watched a lot of the same documentaries, by the way. Okay, so what are the benefits of meat for health? Like, why should someone be eating meat? And by the way, we're going to dive into this. All meat is not equal. And I was just looking up, you know, what when you're at the grocery, what do you see? We see pasture-raised, organic, grass-fed, certified, or prime. So I do want to dive into those because I think that's important. It's, it is the label. But what are the benefits of meat for health? Yeah. And first, I want to say, too, that I, I forgot to mention this, but like you said, we have this narrative that like red meat is specifically is the most dangerous type of meat. But when you, there's a recent analysis that showed that as our rates of chronic disease have increased, our rates of red meat consumption have decreased, which just yep. doesn't even make sense. But yeah, so meat and animal products are invaluable parts of our diet. I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Weston A. Price. He was a dentist who went around the world to kind of discover what is happening to the teeth of my patients because there was dramatic reduction in their health. And he found that there were zero cultures not incorporating some type of animal product. And that was for many reasons they were being given to their pregnant and, you know, to the people they deemed most in need of nourishment. And so meat A is a really high quality source of protein. As you talked about, as we both talked about, we're sicker than ever as a nation. I think eight out of 10 of us are metabolically unhealthy and we are under eating protein, especially as we age, even though we're often getting the opposite message. Now, we know that we need protein for, you know, the structure and function of our tissues and for our immune system function, the health of our hair, skin, nails, all the things. But it's also really important because it helps us to stop eating. When we simply increase the percentage of protein in our diet, we become satiated. It's the most satiating macronutrient there is. We'll eat fewer calories. We'll burn more fat even while we're asleep. We're also going to build more muscle mass. We're going to prevent injury when we're getting older. It just, it cannot be overstated that I think in order to help us reclaim the metabolic health that will make us a very healthy society, that focusing on protein is really important. But Animal proteins and plant proteins are very different, even though you don't often hear about that in this mainstream narrative. So for several reasons, the first is that the amino acid profile. So when we're consuming foods, we are not looking for just protein, even though that's what we're going to see on a nutritional label. We're eating for amino acids. And every different source of protein has a different profile of amino acids. And when you look at the quality of a protein, and no one really refutes this, Meat and animal products are a higher source of protein because they contain all of the amino acids. There's nine amino acids that we cannot make and that we need to get from our diet. And animal source products contain all of those amino acids, whereas plant-based protein sources do not. And again, this is not refuted. There's something called the indispensable amino acid rating scale. Mm -hmm. And it's always animal products that are at the top of the list. And wheat, for example, is like a 43. We have beef that's around a 100. It's just, it's a higher quality source of protein. The second reason is 
meat contains a lot of really valuable nutrients that sometimes we can't get anywhere else. For example, vitamin B12, vitamin D3, we have DHA, which is really important for the health of our brain, creatine, carnitine, heme iron, the more bioavailable source of iron. These are coming from animal source foods and they're not as often present in plant source foods. And even when they are, there's anti-nutrients and other factors that are going to limit that bioavailability. And there was a recent paper by Dr. Ty Beal that came out showing that while traditionally and historically, we believe that fruits and vegetables and greens and whole grains, these are the most nutrient dense foods. When you actually look at the nutrients that most Americans are deficient in and most people in lower and middle income countries, it's organ meats, it's spleen, it's heart, it's kidney, it's beef, it's eggs, and it is leafy greens, but it is definitely not refined grains. In fact, you have to consume so many of those to achieve even one third of the amount that your body needs that he couldn't even put it on his chart. He had to create just like a, a cutoff point. And so it's exactly the opposite of what we're thinking. And last, like I, I touched on before, not only do we get more nutrients in the animal products and nutrients that we can't get anywhere else, but plant foods, because they don't have claws and teeth and they can't run away, plants have created their own ways to protect themselves mm -hmm. and they're called anti-nutrients. Mm -hmm. And plants contain anti-nutrients that go in and interfere with the absorption for us of their nutrients. And lastly, we have the issue that depending upon your genetics and your health status, some of us simply cannot convert certain forms of plant-based nutrients like beta carotene into the active form like retinol or for the linoleic acid and alpha linoleic acid into their longer chain forms, EPA, DHA. And these are the nutrients, DHA in particular, that we need for our brain. And so if you have certain genetics or if you have a thyroid condition or if you have another health condition, you might not be able to make that conversion at all, which means you're definitely going to be missing out on all the benefits of those nutrients. I love it. A hundred percent. You know, I was looking this up. Fun fact that if you Google, you're like, should I eat red meat or how much red meat is safe to eat? Right. And a lot of stuff, like you said, mainstream profiles say only have one to two servings per week or recent public health guidelines recommend limiting your red meat and they're saying all of these things because they're saying that it can increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, stroke, and certain cancers. But here's the thing. Most people are eating the wrong meats. We're eating these conventional meats. We're eating these meats where it's coming from a farm or it's coming from somewhere. And they're feeding the cows genetically modified crops, so corn and wheat. They're feeding them grains. They're giving them steroids hormones. They're giving them garbage things to fatten them up essentially so that they have more meat to sell, right? And so at the end of the day, we're, I think they're basing these studies off of what people are actually eating. And people are actually eating meat that is working against them instead of for them, which is why I think everybody listening needs to be upgrading their meat. And you will actually notice amazing things can happen when you're eating the right food. So you don't have to necessarily eliminate your meat. You need to swap your meat for good meat. So tell me a little bit about wild pastures and where the meat's coming from, what the cows are eating and why this is important. 
Yes. Okay. And I just, before that, I, there's just something I'm really passionate about What's because that? Um, you have like the global burden of disease, right? Yep. Which in 2019 came out for the first time to say that there was zero amount of red meat that was actually safe. But what most people don't know, because this publication hasn't officially been retracted, is that there's a team of scientists that held, that um, wrote a formal objection to this because it was not based on sound science and it was kind of ridiculous. And they have agreed and acknowledged that yes, this limitation in the global burden of disease was not evidence-based and it will be, if not retracted eventually, officially kind of dealt with in the upcoming publication. And so I just want people to know that even though these publications come out and say things, that doesn't mean that it's entirely accurate. Mm-hmm. I always say if it's mainstream and you know about it, and you see it, odds are it's, it's all right. You got a question, right? And we had that food compass rating system that came out and said Lucky Charms were better for you than beef and eggs. And uh, I know it was really sad, but when you look, you realize they're not differentiating between processed foods and synthetic nutrients. And and they're definitely some of the researchers creating this publication are sponsored by cereal companies and food companies. Heck yeah, they got the money. That's why you see Gatorade sponsored by the NFL and Kim Kardashian with the Beyond Beef. Like, uh, unfortunately, wild pastures can't afford Kim Kardashian, right? So that's why we need to spread it grassroots way. But again, it's the brand awareness and they see it and they're like, oh, yeah. So anyway. Yes, you're right. And they don't get uh, Kim Kardashian. They just get me. So yes, we need much more of a grassroots. We love you though, Autumn. We love you. You're amazing. (laughs) Thanks, Jen. But yes, for wild pastures. So like you were saying, there's a lot of nuances when it comes to animal products and the way that they're being raised. And cows are essentially like a hammer. They can be used for good to build a house. They can be used for environmental destruction. And our current methods of agriculture, animal agriculture, that are only a few decades old, actually, are very environmentally destructive. You know, use of fertilizers to grow their feed and pesticides and antibiotics that increase the risk of antibiotic resistance. And they are overgrazing or they're just be fed grain and that makes them sick. And there's runoff in in the manure lagoons that um, on hog farms specifically, and that get into our waters and create fish kills and nitrate poisoning and air pollution and, and on and on. So I think that a lot of us understand there's a lot of limitations to the current system. And when you hear these claims that animal agriculture is environmentally destructive, these people are talking about this type of system. But like I said, this system is only a few decades old and there was a different kind of system. There was an environmentally restorative type of system. There was regenerative and sustainable type of systems that did not destroy our planet. And Wild Pastures was born of this idea. We, we learned from the farmers themselves who were sourcing our beef stick meat that There were many nuances and that some farmers and ranchers were working like scientists. Mm -hmm. They were experimenting with the land. They were working with nature rather than against nature. And they were taking out all of these chemical and extractive inputs and instead using systems like they're moving cows from one plot of land to the other plot of land in in a highly managed way. And it was actually building soil health ecosystem health. It was creating biodiversity. It was creating water holding capacity. It was literally taking carbon out of the atmosphere and trapping it underground in a way that no other system of agriculture has demonstrated that it was able to do. And so while pastures was born of 
We want people, no matter how much they made or no matter where they lived, to be able to access a type of meat that aligned with their values, with their desire to help animals lead healthier and happier lives, with their desire to do something about environmental degradation, and with their desire to eat a product that isn't going to be have antibiotics used or other hormones and, you know, always fed grass for the entirety of their lives. But when we looked at the options on the market, there were some meat delivery services who were doing grass fed, you know, which is an unregulated regulated term, which we can get to in a second. But there wasn't anyone who was kind of looking at the ecological outcome saying, okay, is this product not only fed grass and not given antibiotics, but is it being raised in a way that actually improves environmental health? And to add to that, is it also being sourced from America? Because over 70% of the grass-fed beef you're consuming is coming from another country because they have these systems in place. But when you really think about that, that A, there's a carbon footprint associated with that, but also B, it robs us of, of the opportunity to create food security and food sovereignty in America and also restore the health of America soil and restore the vibrance of our rural communities and to bring food production back as one of the main sources of income. And because when you're invested in the land, like you treat things differently. And right now we have mm-hmm. a lot of really big corporations outsourcing our pollution here because of these huge industrialized and centralized systems. And we thought, what if we could help the farmers market themselves because they didn't want to do that, the ones we talked to, and just connect the consumers who care about this type of product to one another in a way that they could afford. And we just, we really visualized kind of the transformation of this environmentally destructive system that we literally 95% of our animal products are coming from today in soup when you go into a grocery store. And so we just want to give people options and an opportunity to opt in and be part of the change that I think we all agree we need badly. For sure. I mean, the food industry has made the consumer, I would say the majority of consumers just confused and the real idea behind the food is lost. And so it really is going back to like square one. Our food is so out of control. It's not even our food anymore. It's not even food anymore. So now we, instead of being neck deep in worrying about all these nutrition facts and how to get healthier this way and what's the right medication. It's like, hey, let's go back to the roots, back to what started. So I love that you guys are empowering the regenerative agriculture and just the fact that these animals are, they're happening in America, they're in America and they're being raised the right way. And we're supporting those local farmers. It's so important. Let's talk about what are those tricky labels that consumers should be aware of when it comes to the animal products? Ooh, this is such a good question. Okay, so I'm going to start with the one that we kind of mentioned before, and that is just grass-fed. So grass-fed, you know, there was a formal definition a few years ago, I think it was introduced in 2006, and it meant that an animal would be grass-fed and grass-finished, meaning it would just eat grass for the entirety of its lives. But back in 2016, the FDA admitted that it can't really regulate it so well. And so right now, there is a huge umbrella. You could have grass-feeding and grain-finishing. In fact, all animals are grass-fed for you know at least the first six months of their lives a lot of times. And so grass-fed doesn't always mean what you think it does. There's a little more regulation around 100% grass-fed. And you can use something, the American Grass-Fed Association, they have the best kind of 
certification program because they're actually going to go on the farm. I think it's every 15 months and verify that this animal is in fact only fed grass through entirety of its life. So if you really want grass fed, yeah, and you're not using wild pastures, that's definitely the label I would look for. The other one is natural. I know a lot of consumers probably listening to your podcast aren't fooled by this, but the overwhelming majority of consumers are looking for this label and can be impacted by it, but it really means nothing. It just means that it didn't have things added you know, that it's minimally processed. It didn't have artificial flavors added at the end of the process. So wrong. Yes. It's wrong. Yes. It means nothing about how they were fed or in accordance with their natural diet or anything like that. Then we have something like no added hormones. And you see a little asterisk on this label because um, when it comes to pork and chicken, they're not allowed to be fed hormones anyway. So that's kind of like just trickery and kind of it takes you away from the more important questions about what they're being fed, how is their life. And so no added hormones isn't always a great thing to look for. And then another one that makes me really, really angry is is cage-free and free range. So Mm -hmm. uh, you envision cage-free and free range, meaning that chickens are raised outside in their natural environment and they're eating bugs and they're frolicking and they're having a good time. And a lot of times what it means is they're in a warehouse with thousands of other chickens piled on top of each other. And maybe they have a little door, they have access to a little door that might not even go out into a plot of grass. It could just go out to more cement, but it doesn't mean that they're pasture raised, which is is what you'd want to look for in terms of chicken is pasture raised and pork. And another label that's really trickery is made in America. <laughs> yeah, which is really sad is you can process meat at a processing facility in America that was raised somewhere else. And right now it can be called made in America. But as we learn, it's really scary when, you know, something happens like a pandemic and all of a sudden our food is coming from somewhere else and we are are dependent on these other countries. And then we have, you know, raised without antibiotics. This is really tricky too, because we know that the, it's a very looming, serious threat, antibiotic resistance. And mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see like no antibiotic residues or no antibiotic growth promotants or, you know, raised without medically important antibiotics. But I think we just, we just need to know that, that those don't always mean what you think they do. And even though they're not supposed to be fed antibiotics for weight gain, they can still be fed antibiotics today to prevent sickness and illness, which is a natural consequence of the way these animals are raised. And so we really need to be mindful of that. And so what I would look for is, you know, if you can get it from a regenerative system or the American Grass-Fed Association, that's what I would do for beef. If you can do pork and chicken pastured and speak to your farmer or call the company, um, then that would be the best case scenario. But um, And also just going to your local farmer's market if you're not going to use wild pastures and just looking your farmers in the eye. And one farmer taught me when I lived in Los Angeles, because you don't have access to farms in Los Angeles, he said, (laughs) go to Google Earth, ask them where their farm is. And you can actually like zoom in and kind of look at their practices and um, get a better idea of if what they're saying is actually true. I love it. That's so cool. Okay. So let me tell you guys about the wild pastures difference. First of all, it's truly grass-fed in its pasture raised, meaning the animals are outdoors on lush grass pastures, the way nature's intended. There's no feedlots, okay? It's beyond sustainable. They're regenerative. So all their farmers utilize regenerative farming practices in order to raise healthy animals in a way that is beneficial to the ecosystem and environment. Plus, what we're going to get into, Autumn, is you guys have the lowest prices without cutting corners. 
This is mind-blowing. And listen, they have 100% grass-fed and finished beef. They have pasture-raised chicken, pasture-raised pork, plus wild-caught seafood. This is your one-stop shop. So I have tons of people in suburban areas that say, I don't know where to get this. I don't know where to get this, right? You could literally use Thrive Market or Amazon for your staple items, your pantry items. And then you could use wild pastures to get all of your protein sources. And guess what? Mm -hmm. That's when inflammation starts to go away. That's when your IBS gets better. That's when your skin starts to glow. That's when you have energy and you're looking for a hobby for the first time in your life. And so (laughs) with that being said, what makes the cost so effective? Oh, this is such a good question. So we do a lot of things and we had to work really, really hard at this. So we partner directly with the farmers, right? We just kind of cut out the middleman. So we also are really big on whole animal utilization. And one of the reasons we just started a burger restaurant, for example, is because we had an excess of ground beef because not everyone, you know, you have to use all of the different cuts and we really try and utilize waste. And so we take that ground beef and we put it into our burger restaurant and we take that tallow, which is beef fat, and we cook the French fries in that. And we take the bones from the animals that we're using and we make our bone broth product from our Paleo Valley bone broth protein powder. And we also just work tirelessly to really dial in our systems and become as efficient as possible with as little as possible. And lastly, we we run Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures, which is two of our different companies, basically with the same team, again, because these people are, they're amazing and they're brilliant. But again, speaking to that efficiency and just um, trying to do as much as possible with as few resources as possible. I think those are the ways that we are able to pass those savings directly onto the consumer. And like you said, we're about 40% cheaper than the other meat delivery services on the market. And yet we provide a product that is raised in America, that is grass-fed and grass-finished, and that is raised, you know, of course, the animals are treated humanely and is improving the environment. So I think we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, you have so much to give the world. I love it. And the fact that your story is just full circle of you felt this way, you figured out, you know, this is part of the problem. It is food. And here you are helping other people with the lane you decided, okay, I'm going after the protein. I'm going after the meat, I'm going after the fish, all that. And so thank you, Autumn. Thank you for everything you and your husband are doing to help people understand what's really inside of their food and how to get this food to their doors. So for everyone listening, you can go check out Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures on social media, in addition to their website, which is wildpastures.com. We're going to be posting a link at the bottom of this podcast as well. Shall you wish to get your first box and discover what real meat can do for your body. Thanks so much, Autumn. I've appreciated having this conversation with you today. Jen, it's been such an honor and a pleasure. And I just hope that we stay buds. And thanks for letting me be here. Yeah, we are, girl. Okay, we'll talk soon. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Listener.